Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. This week, Navot Shorish joins us from Troy, Michigan, where he is founder and CVO of a, the custom integration firm Spire Integrated Systems. Navot and I have crossed paths at the HTSA buying group meetings, but I never had a chance to sit down and get to know him or his company that well. When I saw his post about the opening of a beautiful new showroom up the road for me in Bay Harbor, Michigan, I thought now would be a great time to finally connect, learn about his career path from being an immigrant from Israel to a successful entrepreneur in Michigan, and also about his favorite tech and product lines and his advice for running a profitable custom integration business with happy employees. Navot Shorish, <laughs> thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I, I, I made a big leap there with happy employees. I hope that's not too much of an assumption. It's a big focus. It's a big focus. That's good. I, I thought so from some things that I've I've seen from you in the past. So um, we'll we'll get into that. But first things first. Uh, I I kind of stumbled there on your CVO title. It's uh, not a CTO, not a CEO, and I had to actually look it up because it didn't pop into my brain what the V was for, but. I see that it's chief visionary officer. So mm -hmm. um, I assume this is something from you as a management focused person, having um, some favorite management books and that sort of thing that maybe uh, you saw this as, as a good uh, sort of pivot in the way you, you lead. Can you explain why you chose that title for yourself? Sure. Um, and if you hear any moaning, and that's my dog sleeping, and oh. so she <laughs> a lot of noise when she's sleeping. Okay, uh, doesn't invest. So uh, one of the things that we, we operated Spire under the uh, EOS platform, yes. and an EOS platform, they don't call it CEO and uh, COO. It's more of a, a visionary and an integrator. And the reason I made the change to the CVO uh, is because that is new. That is what I do now. I I don't handle day to day uh, operation. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sit on a weekly meeting where we resolve any type of, you know, management and operational issues, but that's not my role. Uh, that's actually on, uh, falls on my partner, Jason. Uh, so that's where the visionary side part of it. Um, it's also, you know, coming from listening to a lot of Simon Sinek and mm -hmm. um, some of his, you know, idea of visionaries where really the CEO of a company is the operational guy and really the role of a CEO is to handle the bigger things, the vision, where the company is going, what the culture is like, and quite honestly, what customers and services are we, you know, taking on and what we want to offer. That makes sense. And and I, I hear uh, Simon Sinek uh, quoted so much in our industry as as a leader, and he he really as a as a management uh, guru, he his main thing is the why. Correct? Is that the the big thing that comes? Yeah, out? he's. That's how he's known. Uh, I actually like one of my favorite books that he actually, you know, um, was The Infinite Game. Mm. Is think infinitely rather than finite. I think I actually find that book a lot more um, connected to me than uh, Start With Why. Um, you know, many people have challenged to start with why. I actually prefer what. Mm. <laughs> uh, Jason, and who is my integrator, prefers how. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's how we've, you know, you have to always find the things that connect to you just because it's something that's, you know, um, you know, famous or somebody's famous or somebody has a lot of followers. 
in my mind, it, it needs to be connected to you. And that's how you implement things better. Well, you, you found, uh, I, I heard an interview with Ron Callis a year ago. And of course, it was a totally different time in a yeah. lot of ways. Uh, you, you were still really early on. I mean, this was like March of 2020 when I heard the interview uh, from when the, re the interview was recorded. So we were really just at the beginning stages of COVID-19 and not sure what it meant. And you had to shut down operations and you're trying to train up employees in the off time and still pay them uh, their income. Um, so you, you made it through that. And obviously we saw our industry just, um, just boom as far as uh, demand because everyone was spending uh, on their homes. What can you say about the, the, the community that you're in there in terms of what you've seen in terms of that uptick? Uh, are, are you in a vacation home area or is it main uh, primary residences there? Um, and what have you kind of seen in terms of interest from clients and what they want to do with their homes from a technology standpoint? So that's a really, so we have two, we have currently three offices. Okay. Um, we have an office in Troy that covers the Metro Detroit area, which is a typical Metro area, right? With permanent homes, uh, you know, high level neighborhoods and so forth. Um, and then we have our Traverse city office and our Bay Harbor showroom, which is two very much, uh, a vacation communities. And the reason we've seen tremendous amount of growth in actually in all areas is partly is because Detroit is starting to become an up and coming city. It's actually evolving to be outside of just an automotive, you know, into a commercial, into much more banking and other elements. And for, um, you know, from perspective of like the North Market, where it's a lot of vacation homes, um, a lot of people start moving there permanently or at least half the year. So it's turned into a much bigger um, place to live versus where it was before. You're right up there with uh, with Leon speakers. Uh, are, are you a dealer for that uh, product line by chance? Or yeah. You are? yeah. Leon is uh, about southwest of us in Ann Arbor, but uh, it's another area we cover in our part of our Troy office. And then we've um, obviously... Um, I've known uh, Noah for many, many years and used his product for many, many years. He's a really great guy in our industry. Yeah. I, I, I was uh, privileged to get up there and uh, see his operation in person. Finally, we, we took a family yeah. trip up and he gave my daughters, who were uh, still pretty young at the time, a few years ago, gave them the tour. Uh, yeah. I just sort of hung yeah. back and, and ran video on it. And it was, it was a really impressive thing because he's just such a thoughtful person and he just sort of took it upon himself that i'm gonna lead these kids around instead of this guy from the industry that <laughs> probably already knows most of this stuff but uh, uh that, that's really cool to be up in that area i love michigan i'm in indiana uh we love to vacation up there it's a it's a great uh, beautiful state um, so many places to go yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I, and I, I'm glad it finally started to get it's, um, you know, it's getting a lot of attention in the media, especially the Traverse City area with all the wine industry that's mm. evolving over there. So we're seeing a lot of people from California moving in a lot of, you know, like people are starting to invest in that area. Interesting. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's booming, not just from a perspective of just our industry, but it's booming from many, many other various industries that are coming up there. Well, that's great. Um, well, and your, your path to get there is so unique. I um, learned about it a little bit from your interview a year ago, but uh, having 
growing up in Israel uh, on a kibbutz, which is like a, a thing that <laughs> to me is just like a, a another, literally another world. But my my daughters, um, we've raised them Jewish, and uh, we would get these little these little books from the from the temple, basically uh, kids' books, and their holiday stories and things. And there's always one or two about someone on a kibbutz and uh, <laughs> raising their their animals or whatever it was you know yeah, um i grew up on a i grew up on a farm yeah i i, I find it uh you know i grew up on a farm in israel in a kibbutz essentially but um got very lucky with my dad just who started as a farmer and start you know then one day decided it's not for him and st- you know uh moved to a different direction okay. and end up being a ceo of a factory in a kibbutz and i learned a lot from him over okay. the years so yeah, t- take us through that. What what uh, I mean, I, so many folks I talk to, whether they're on the manufacturing side or or the integration side, it, there's the the common stories. I mean, there, there's so many common stories of of interest in tech as a kid and getting yeah. up, going up through AV or being into into two channel, uh, working in a stereo store or whatever. That's not your story <laughs> at all. Um, not at all. Yeah. So I mean, you were in the military as 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 one has to do in Israel. Um, and, and how, how is it that you, uh, what, what was your dad's factory? And then how does that lead to you, um, coming to the U S eventually? So I, um, my, my, uh, uh, involvement technology actually started pretty early. I mean, I actually, when I was 16 years old, I worked for, um, in the kibbutz, there were a, a corporation that was a company that was working on irrigation a lot of automated irrigation. Okay. So I had my first DOS style type computer and we actually were using pressure, water pressure to open up valves and, you know, uh, monitor pH levels. So I started getting into, I, I started getting involved in technology from there actually. Okay. Uh, in the military, I served in a very specialized unit that dealt with a lot of guidance systems, uh, a lot of very, very sophisticated optics and, um, and satellite communication. So, that really opened my eyes to what's available uh, from the technology side. I actually always wanted to become a civil engineer. I wanted mm. to build bridges and tunnels. Um, that was my that was my dream as a child. Um, you know, my dad, you know, ran a factory. I, I learned from my dad mostly not on technology, but I learned how to handle customers. Oh, okay. Uh, I used to go on you know on business trips with him and meet clients, and I saw how he had that relationship, how he was building relationship, and that was a tremendous help for us. Mm-hmm. So, so then you, you work for your dad and and, and observe that uh, that kind of uh, relationship building and that sort of thing. Um, you, I, I recall that you took some time off though before um, leaving Israel, and were able to travel a bit around the world. And where where, yeah. where, where did you get to go? Um, so I started in uh, England. From there, I went to Thailand, uh, went to Singapore, and then was one of my biggest dream was always to be in Australia. So I went to Australia and, and I spent about four months in Australia wow. traveling the continent. Um, I had this little tiny little car and drove it until basically it fell apart. <laughs> um, but I got to see some of the most amazing spots and people Um and then after that, I, you know, what brought me to the United States, I had a girlfriend in Israel that was from the United States. Mm. And then we traveled the U.S. afterwards together, uh, went back to Israel, started school. And then uh, obviously with the relationship, just came back to the United States and continued my schooling here in, uh, in Michigan. And, and what were you studying when you got, got to Michigan then? 
Uh, electrical engineering. Right, right. Okay, so that that's Again, really I interesting. Up, up on my mechanic, um, about my civil engineering dream by then, and okay, you know, went with it. But the the it, even if you don't become an electrician first, you the the electrical experience before going into a low voltage focused um, integration business, I mean that that must be useful to to kind of understand that side of the fence. Um, yeah, so I've learned, you know, I studied electrical engineering, but with a focus on control systems. Hmm. Uh, so we learned a lot about electrical, but a lot of it was also signal path and and communication. Um, I forgot to mention, I also, be, after the military, I actually owned a company in Israel, right after the military, that did the infrastructure for the cable company. So we built infrastructure on high risers. So that was my first experience in the residential world and building infrastructure for cable using fiber optics and, and things of that nature. And so while you were studying uh, in Michigan, uh, when you got to the U.S., were you also uh, working through through school or were you a full-time student? Yeah. No, I, I was a full-time employee first and then part-time student. Okay. Uh, I did most of my classes were at night. Um, I had a job. Um so I worked for a company that did a lot of point-to-point uh, -point communication. They built infrastructure, and then they got into satellite installation and networking and stuff like that. So it was kind of, you know, rolled into what I was already knew how to do, uh, but it kind of exposed me. And the reason I got into residential was really by an ac by accident. Um, we were working at Joe Louis Arena, which is an old Red Wing, um, you know, the hockey team's, uh, you know, stadium. And... Um, I started meeting some of the players and they asked me to come fix their TVs at home because we were working on the TV system in the, um, in the stadium. And that's how I got into residential. I had no plan of doing that. My plan was to finish up my, um, you know, my degree and uh, go work for like AT&T or some communication company. And all of a sudden I found myself in doing residential installation. And, and what appealed to you about that, having not really ever planned to do that kind of work, um, how did that just grab you and make you decide, hey, this is something I want to do? That's a great question. I got to well, think about this. <laughs> well, while you kind of ponder that in the back of your mind, um, what were you looking, what were you kind of doing with the, what, what level of work were you doing for these uh, hockey players in their homes at that time? Well, so when I started, I really just, I, I was actually just repairing other companies' work. Uh, that was my that's how I got into it. I was just going around fixing other people's systems and I'm starting to look at it and I said, well, there's got to be a better way of doing this. It can't be that, you know, uh, complicated. So what I really enjoyed about it was actually the direct relationship I had with the customer hmm. where I did not have that on a large scale project. You really don't meet the customer. You just do the work. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that, you know, the one-on-one. -on -one. I really enjoyed the relationship part of it. And I think that's what led me to continue being in that uh, in this industry. And, and what era, just to give folks an, uh, an idea of where we are in the history of custom integration, um, what, around what years were, were you doing that first, those first jobs, uh, repairing jobs? 1998, something like that. Okay. Yeah, 98, you know. I've uh, been here a couple of years by then, 90, yeah, 97, 98, 99. I started my... I started Spire in 2001, so I know it was a couple of years before that. Okay, so you're dealing with some pretty early on systems then. Um, oh, yeah, we're talking 
old Panasonic phone system, IR systems, mostly receiver-based, you know, systems, volume control, that kind of stuff. Um, and then in 2001, you're, well, you're forming your company there. Um, mm-hmm. What what what's that first step look like for the, for you back then? For those who who may be young in the industry or even veterans who have a similar experience, what what do you? How are you establishing your company there at the beginning? You know, I had enough, I guess, you know, uh, in terms of today's world, followers okay, <laughs> uh, who wanted to work with me, who said to me, like, you know, why don't you just go on your own? We'll support you. We'll give you work. We'll refer you. And really, that's how I started. You know, it was a credit card, a Jeep and, a, you know, and, a you know, a couple clients and just started building from there. Um, it's just. Again, I think that what I would always recommend to someone, when you start doing something, know why you're doing it. Like, you know, that Simon Sinek, why you want to do it. Uh, I think that's really important in the early stages is to really have in your mind what it is that you're trying to create. Um, pick a name that represents that. I think that's one thing that really helped me over the years is that, you know, uh, the name Spire was really, uh, I didn't come up with that name. Actually, uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a writer uh, was a you know was doing commercials, you know was talking to me and I explained to him what I was trying to accomplish and he's like oh Spire, and I had no idea what that was um, and that always that name always helped me you know find exactly you know remind me what this is about you know Spire you know for those who don't know it's a freestanding architectural element it's the top of an antenna it's the top of a church it's the top you know. But it's a symbol, you know, it's a symbol of a structure that faces upwards, meaning it's always looking to get better. It's always looking to go up, um, not, not, you know, nothing stagnant. So, um, you know, every every so often when I forget or I have a, a bad day, I, I just remember that story of talking to that, you know, writer. And that's how I came up with that name. So it, it does help. It's a it's a beautiful name and, and it's really symbolic, as you described. And it's such a. Uh, lucky, uh, fortuitous move to go with that, where every management um, person I've heard at conferences has said, don't put your name in the title of your company. You'll never be able to sell it. You can't like, you know, not that that's true, but yeah. but, but it's harder. Yeah. Um, or or like, why, why is your company called something audio when you do all this other stuff? And yeah, <laughs> you've got everything sort of figured out there what even though most people may not know what integrated is their average consumer um but but yeah it's, it's interesting that you just mentioned that because our new logo coming up kind of our new iteration actually removed the integrated systems out of it mm-hmm. Spire. it's uh, you know it's well known it's established it's we don't need the add-ons yeah and, and so um so as you develop this company um, what are some of those early product lines that really became the core of who you are? We always refer to companies as their control systems, I guess. Is that one of the early ones that you established as your your central product line? Yeah. I mean, we used AMX back in the day oh. and we programmed. We were doing some amazing things with it. And, you know, back then that was it. There was really no um, self-packaged system that you can just pick up and start programming. You had to actually build a lot of things from scratch. You have to create your own software, um, you know, and those struggles, I'd be honest, probably helped us tremendously of reshaping the company to what it is now, where we try to, I don't want to say avoid custom because we do some really custom work, but we tried to stop 
the idea of every job is custom. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more of a car company. It's a it's a high level car company. It's platforms. Yeah. You you know you have to start thinking in platforms rather than thinking in, you know, oh I'm just doing this control system. It's it's platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, so that means that the customer comes in and he wants this platform, and then you customize that platform to fit their house, their needs, their special requirements rather than, oh, let's build a whole new platform for this person. Right. Or on the other side, limit yourself to only one very limited set of tools. Like, let's say, for example, I'm a X control, you know, company and they make lighting and they make this and, and I use everything from them because that's I dedicated my entire, you know, company to it. There's great risk with that because your platform is very narrow. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of clients, especially more younger or sophisticated and understand technology that do not want to be locked into that very narrow platform. They want to have a wider platform. Yeah. And, and I heard in your interview with um, Ron Callis that uh, your business has kind of evolved into complicated projects on a budget or high end uh, with not much in the middle. Um, so I would imagine those complicated projects on a budget are kind of what you're talking about, maybe that younger demographic sometimes. What what, so, what what are you how are you building that system? What what are you doing to make that appealing to someone who maybe says, I'm not gonna yeah. go with that high end control system or whatever it is. So we actually try to uncomplicate them, right? They might have they start with a lot of requirements, a lot of requests, and they seem complicated. Uh, and then I would say we really don't look at the budget as an actual element because it is going to cost what it's going to cost. And that's what we try to explain to a lot of the clients, whether you go in with our fully large systems, integrated homes that we do everything, all the platforms that we provide, or that you come to us and says, I just want to have a great audio system and I want a great lighting system, but I'm okay with it being separated. Hmm. Right. So we, we look at it and not over try to oversell on the, integration side mm -hmm. because it's not as important to that client but what's important to them is convenience they like lighting they like shades they like you know audio and they might like some really great audio and i think that's what we're missing a lot of points when somebody says i want something simple that doesn't mean they don't want to have something great mm -hmm. so we'll do actually the way we call it is simple and great you know complex and advanced mm -hmm. right and so if you come to me and says, I, I, I don't want a control system, I'm really comfortable with Sonos, I'm comfortable with multiple apps, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. But we still at that platform do have high level of installation, high level of networking, high level of you know performance. It's just that the control system is simpler. That's really interesting. Um, it, it's, it's refreshing to hear you describe it like that. Uh, I took years to commit to allowing a control system to be installed in my home. Uh, I had reported and covered this industry forever and had always been really fearful of the horror stories that I heard about getting locked into things and then having your integrator basically have to be at your house whenever you needed to change anything. And as the yeah. systems evolved, it became easier to have some end user control over things and that, that yeah. eased my mind. But I've also experienced what you're talking about, where I don't always see the benefit to including every single subsystem in the control system. Like I don't necessarily need to go to that one place to to deal with it. And my family doesn't either. Like my control system app is only on my phone. <laughs> my family, my kids, my wife and my kids don't even have it. Um, that goes to show that 
all they really want to do is push one button to maybe turn off all the lights at some point or all, you know, onto a, a set uh, day mode or something. And, uh, yeah. from the, from the audio standpoint, it, it, it's a control panel or whatever, but you know, I can see where it, you really just have to kind of walk through what the, the needs of the, the client really are and what they, what their interests are. Um, and that's, that's really a cool thing to hear how you're doing that. Yeah. I, I would, I would add to it though, that when one of the things that I always show clients, even when they're ones who don't want to say they don't want to have a control system is I do show them like, you know, we use Savant a lot. And so I show them the Savant app and how it operates. And, and a lot of people actually look at it and says, wow, the simplicity of having everything in one spot is worthwhile. And quite honestly, that doesn't actually add a lot of cost anymore to the system. Then, you know, if you structure it as high performance to begin with, then the control side really does not add a tremendous amount of cost over the percentage of the job. It's not like it used to be. Like in the AMX day, the control system was like 30% of the job. Mm. Now it's more like 10. Okay. Right. So it's an easier, it's an easier upgrade path for someone, but you have to be careful of not like, oh, we're only going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, we're only going to do it that way. Because some of these clients that, you know, wanted that simple, you know, that they came with a simple, you know, simple and great turn into, you know, six figure jobs, like big six figure jobs. And they added some element of automation. It's just maybe, maybe, maybe more minute. You know, I'll give you an example. I have a dear client of mine that I did his house in California. I don't know, probably 15 years ago. And we put AMX system in it's worked there forever. You know, this thing never breaks. I mean, it's unbelievable, <laughs> but it's, um, but when we did his house up in Northern Michigan, he said, you know, uh, you know, my son is in, you know, works at Google and we really want to use Google stuff. And I, I just, I don't want to have so, you know, I don't want to have a control system and, you know, and I kind of designed the system a little bit more open source, like, you know, Sonos and things of that nature. And then put Savani in to control the theater room and the living room, which had really tremendously high performance system. And they needed a remote. They needed something to right. tie it all together. There was also lighting and shades and all kind of other stuff. And I remember it, it took about five minutes of me showing him how to use the app to turn. And they looked at me like, how come this is not, not how come this is not in the rest of the house? Ah. It took about five minutes. Okay. And his son who works for Google and brought all this Google home kits and stuff like that, saw the ability to integrate the two together and said, no, this is great. And actually then got the house in California converted to Savan as well. Again, you our goal is to be, con, you know, consultants, advisors. It's sure. not us, our job to tell you this is what you have to have or this is the best and all the other stuff is bad. No, it, it, it really isn't. And every customer is unique. You have to treat it that way. Very good. Well, uh, Navot Shoresh and I will continue our conversation after the break. Did you know that 34% of broadband households are concerned about the air quality inside of their homes? Parks Associates' new quantified consumer study, Fresh Air, Air Quality and Comfort in the Smart Home, addresses consumer concern regarding indoor air quality as well as interest in air quality products and services. Our research of 10,000 broadband households finds that about 20% of broadband households are likely to purchase a smart climate or indoor air quality device in the next six months. This new consumer analysis quantifies concerns, perception of product value, and purchase intentions. For more information on fresh air, air quality, and comfort in the smart home, contact sales at parksassociates.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, and I'm talking with Navot Shorish, founder and CVO of Spire Integrated Systems in Troy, Michigan. Um, I One of the reasons why I reached out to you uh, after kind of crossing paths with you in, uh, over the years is this new showroom in Bay Harbor, uh, one of those resort communities you, you spoke of. Um, beautiful environment. It looks like a full-on home that just really opened floor plan, bright environment. Um, what were you uh, looking to accomplish with that that showroom design? So um, this is a very unique uh, thing for us. I mean, our showroom in Troy is obviously our building, and that's where our operations is and all that stuff. And the showroom in Bay Harbor is very unique because we are actually sharing a space with an interior design company, mm. a lighting showroom, a kitchen showroom, and then us. Um, so it gives us the ability to incorporate ourselves into like a beautifully and beautiful environment that all of us are sharing, sharing clients, sharing, you know, but I probably wouldn't have never built the kitchen that's going to be built there Mm. on my own to show, you know, to show, but now I can incorporate all the lighting techniques that we have into that. We can, you know, they're building us a, a really beautiful media area. So all these different things now incorporate together. So you actually, um, sharing a lot of the cost, um, the Bay Harbor showroom, uh, you know, r- you know, works in the, uh, in, you know, in a very limited time community, I guess, you know, most, most people stay there for maybe three to four months okay. in the summer. So it's not like we're there all the time, mm-hmm. but we're, our goal there is to make, to have big events, you know, combined of all these companies who are there. Uh, if you notice, it's also right on the Marina. Yeah. So one of the most expensive marinas in Michigan, um, so our goal is when people are coming in, they're visiting, they're coming in to see what's new, to see what's there. Um, and really we're actually looking at Bay Harbor, not just developing our business in, you know, in the North, it's also a lot of people from the Detroit area or in Arbor area that visit there, hmm. you know, see it, or maybe have not worked with us, see us there and then reconnecting us with us downstate. So it's a very interesting dynamics of what happens to us right now. It's, we're getting the the job from both sides. You know, some of the jobs we've done up north are now calling us to do the jobs down in the Detroit area. And obviously, our clients from the last 20 years have asked us to go, always asked us to go up there and, and do work. We just made it more established, um, make it easier for everybody. Right. So you're an HTSA member, and that's where we've, we've seen each other quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and HTSA has just been a real thought leader um, in terms of new technology. And one of those categories is the lighting category, not just we've been doing lighting control forever in our industry, but the lighting fixture business, um, training up a lot of the membership, uh, certifying the membership for lighting design and just selling Mm -hmm. lighting fixtures. So how much of that is playing into the new showroom? So uh, it plays... uh... I, I, I'll start by saying that what HTSA and Tom uh, Doherty have done with uh, lighting has changed our business. Mm. I, I, I owe so much of what we've accomplished in the last couple of years with lighting and, in, you know, in general to what HTSA has done. Uh, the tremendous amount of education resources, the tremendous amount of just the ability to negotiate with lighting manufacturers. That otherwise, we would never have the opportunity to work with. Uh, so... That opened up a tremendous amount of ev- uh, avenue for us to grow. And actually, that's what leads us to a lot of jobs. There's one builder in northern Michigan 
that medicine a lighting uh, uh, seminar that we've done mm. um, and then called us because of the lighting design capabilities and because of the of what we do with lighting to take over all their construction because they wanted to elevate and they felt that were they were left behind by the current providers they used to until then. Mm. So I would highly recommend for anyone who's either dabbling or thinking about it, think about where the business is coming from. You know, I know traditionally we've been in AV and control, but when you can change, when you can communicate to an architect and designer and builders how a lighting system or light, or better lighting can affect their overall results, first of all, you're going to get their time, you're going to get their attention, and you're going to get their business. Um, you know, and and that's one one area that I again I contribute to our rapid growth in the last couple of years is our ability to uh, design, supply, and understand lighting. And are you going through some of that training that HTSA has helped to establish? Um, are you a lighting, do you consider yourself a lighting designer? Or did you have someone on your team become a lighting designer? So we have, uh, I, so I've been working on learning about lighting design for over two years, two and a half years now. Um, I've had the luck of working with Peter Romanello for many, many years. And we've actually had a you know training session with him at the guild, and then HDSA did the same, similar like a ten you know ten uh, session series, which in my mind was the best lighting training you can possibly have. Uh, and then we actually recently hired um, an architect to lead our lighting design um, and lighting uh, category uh, department. Interesting. Okay. You mentioned the guild just before we move on to anything else. I, for those who don't know what the guild is, can you explain that? So the guild is a small group of integrators that came together to basically support one another. Um, it's not a buying group. There's no elements of business in it at all. It's more like a, an accountability buddy or mm -hmm. like somebody you can share information from on a such deep level that you have to have such level of trust. It just cannot be done on a large scale. Right. So there's only 12 people in the group. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it will probably grow to maybe 15 at the most. Right. Uh, but what we've accomplished together uh, from brand identity and learning from one another um, is just incredible. So in my mind, the guild is the, you know, the what in my life. And HDSA is the how. Okay. You know, HDSA is uh, like the engine that drives the business side of, of my company. And this was driving my vision and my, you know, this is what we should be doing. Right. Uh, you know, so. Yeah, I didn't want to miss that in case anyone didn't know what that was. But uh, we'll back yeah. to the lighting real quick. Um, so you're, um, you're, you're seeing that opportunity and uh, in that area are, of other categories that you hear about in our industry that are kind of burgeoning categories. Uh, you mentioned being a savant dealer, and I know energy management is such a big thing with savant right now. Are mm -hmm. you dealing with any of that? I know Michigan is probably not your typical state <laughs> for that, like uh, California would be where you're dealing with a lot of yeah. solar. So do you see an opportunity there at all? I think it's going to come. I don't. I think it's somewhat in its infancy. Yeah. And um, when we have conversation with clients about energy management and the need for it or the, you know, the, the interest level is still very low. Yeah. Um, so I think that's has not turned into anything substantial in my mind. Yeah, it's very market uh, market driven, Mar market by market, yeah. or it, it, yeah. part of the country, you know, uh, world. Yeah. Um, well, 
on the lighting, are you doing much in the human centric uh, part of it? So the biophilia part of it, or is it mostly just controlling from a design standpoint and, and making sure the color temperature is just, you know, consistent and that sort of thing? So it's a, that's a perfect question. So actually I'm in a room that has Ketra. Oh, okay. Um, big believer in Ketra. I've, I've, we've had our, one of the first showroom in the country of, of Ketra before Lutron bought them. Um, you know, to me, I found, I found Ketra for the, because of, I was looking for something to help me with uh, seasonal, seasonal disorder. Mm. You know, both of us live in Michigan and came from somewhere that had a lot of sun, <laughs> the effect. Um, and I, you know, stumbled through, again, actually through HTSA stumbled into, uh, Ketra, uh, went to see them, um, just fell in love with the product right off the bat. And I said, I don't really know how we're going to use it, but we're going to use it some way. We need to have this product. I, I just knew that there is something so unique about it. Uh, and that was our launch into lighting. And then from there, it actually evolves down to more standard lighting and warm dim and all that other stuff that comes with and the design. But it started with with uh, human centric lighting, and I feel we know so much more about it. I live with it. I've had Ketra in my house for the last year and a half, so I've been living with it. I've you know, you know, tuning it, learning how to use it, learn when it works, learn when it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I, I find that very very uh, compelling, and uh, my customers find that you know, obviously, when you're passionate about something, your customers will find it compelling as well. And that's obviously something you really have to show to understand from a client standpoint. So are you, are you uh, able to do that with the clients or are you to the point where you can really explain it and they they are, are on board with the idea without even having to experience it? So we have a show, our showroom in, in Troy does have Ketra okay. and has a room dedicated with Ketra that we could darken completely and we can explain the process and you know, although it's a very short experience, I mean, obviously living with it is a completely different experience than just seeing it for an hour or two, you know, in demos. Yeah. But I think what resonate and it, it's a very it's a it's a hit or miss because it's a very expensive, you know, system to go with. Right. It's a big investment. Let's yeah. let's call it what it is. So you really have to be passionate about what it does. You have to be passionate about the quality of light that it produces. Um, and if you're not, we could still produce good quality light, but just not going to have the range. Right. I, I always look at it as, as vertical, you know, um, you know, from a perspective of, of um, vectors, you know, like when you look at your faucets, right, you get you get temperature and you get flow. Right. Most lighting, you only get flow. Hmm. Ketra is very much the same. It just gives you a complete control of temperature and complete control of flow. It's two vectors. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at clients, they're used to two vectors. They used to it from music. I pick my music and I pick my volume. I pick my, you know, my temperature and I and I pick the flow, you know, of water and so forth. And so I think if you talk, you don't know, tell the story in relationship to other things that they're expecting, you know, there's a much better connection. If you just say, oh, look at this cool light that can turn green, it can turn red and it mimics circadian rhythm, which most people don't even know what that means. Yeah. And quite honestly, it really does not affect you learning from living with it it really does not affect you as much as it's being published. Mm. You know, in order for you to be really like, especially for us in the North to be affected by, um, by light, it needs to be at directly in our eye level. It needs to be fairly intense and it needs to be a certain amount of time. 
and you're not going to get it from a fixture up above. Hmm. Right. It does not connect with your eye, you know, the same way as what circadian rhythm does with the sun. Okay. So I'm, I'm very careful about talking about circadian rhythm. It, there's a sense of, uh, I will tell you, there's a sense of comfort having a really warm light at night. There's a sense of, you know, uh, energy when you have a great light in the morning, but I can't tell you it's affecting my sleep. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Really far, that, you know, you, it, it's, it's far reaching. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, and it's hard to kind of explain all those different kind of variables that what, what you're talking about. Because I, I thought of circadian in my mind as just following the pattern of the sun and having it be... Uh, line up to what you want your your room you know the, the warm candlelight of night you know not being a blue light of the daytime yeah. or whatever yeah. um and not not really even thinking about that circadian is really about sleep patterns and and understanding that but uh yeah. so but but from a understanding standpoint you do see it as the benefit of it just matching up to what you traditionally would want the home lighting to look like as opposed to this artificial lighting that when we first switched to LEDs, that's all we got was yeah, very yeah. artificial. Yeah. Okay. And it, you know what? it's just like, it's, it's very interesting. Again, my wife uh, is a surgeon. And so she walks into the bathroom at nighttime and hit the bright. Mm -hmm. And I walk into that room and to me, it's shocking. So I have, I go to the relax. <laughs> so, but it allows both of us to have what we want in the same exact house which has never been done before in lighting, right? Yeah. You have, you know, a partner that likes it bright and someone that likes it more dim. And it's just like music. Now, you know, I like this type of music. She likes this type of music. So it gives us options. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be sold or that's the way it's supposed to be presented to the customer. It's that next level of options. It's the next level of customization. So your house feels perfect for you when you want it that way. That's really funny. Literally a surgeon. Uh, cause I, I make the joke with my wife when, you know, th there's, there's the comment that there, there's a male, female, uh, I, um, difference apparently, uh, the way light is kind of interpreted or something, but mm -hmm. my, my wife will sometimes just go with our, we've got a lighting control system. It's not Catra, but you can go full bright. Like you said, and we'll be in the kitchen and she just has it full bright. And I said, are you performing surgery in here? That's my, my joke with her. Cause I, yeah. I love a dimmer and you know, warmer dim kind of environment. Yeah. Um, before we wrap That's up, I, I wanted to kind of to, to head on just uh, one more thing. So uh, we, we could go so much longer on this, but I don't want to hold you. Uh, you talked a bit with Ron about your service approach. Uh, and this is such a key conversation topic with everyone. And, uh, combined with that, the challenges these days, we're, we're back in full business, but yet we've got supply chain challenges like every industry. Um, so when you're dealing with service and supply chain, wh what is, what is your, um, approach these days? How, how are you, are you selling service as a, as a plan with clients as you wrap up a job or when you start a job, uh, are you using any outside, uh, help on that? And um, and and how are you sort of setting expectations for supply chain shortages? Okay, so I'll start with the service because it, it is a huge. So um, Spires, you know, like everybody's talk about vision and, and all these big stories. To us, there's two things that we work on. It's quality work 
an exceptional customer experience. Those are the two things that every morning we, we, when we get up, that's all we concentrate on, right? That's our like uh, OKR, that's our objective. And then we key result that based on those two elements. So to us, service is the one, you know, 50% of everything that we do is about service, right? Supporting our clients. Uh, we call it support, actually. We stop calling it service. Okay. Um, supporting our clients, making long-term clients, and making big fans because we don't have a sales force. We're almost reaching, uh, you know, eight figures as a company, and we have no sales, no sales force. Wow. And the reason we're doing it is because we're able to, to do so much more work with our existing customers and referrals. Right. So when I look at uh, when I look at support and all that, you know, we use uh, Parasol to help us with you know, our 24 seven. Every single one of our job comes with um, a year uh, built in of 24 seven support monitoring, you know, um, and then you have expedited service. We our support team is we have three technicians and one coordinator. That's how important it is to us. Um, we actually establish our support coordinators. Basically, her whole role is to make sure customers are happy. Mm. That's it. That's every day. That's the entire objective. Make sure that our customers are raving fans that they're taking care of. Um, and she will hunt us down. Like, where's that part? Where's <laughs> when are you going to, you know, that, you know, she is the customer re representative, basically inside Spire. I always said that's the best person to call in. Uh, so, as I said, we use Parasol. And then what we've seen, uh, we've got almost 150 clients already. Uh, we don't have a lot of clients as a company. We're not doing a lot of jobs every year, fairly lim limited amount of work uh, of jobs. Um, we have over 150 clients already on, on that program, and the renewal rate is incredible. I think we're at like 90 92% renewal rate. That's great. So uh, clients find it very, very uh, beneficial and continue to renewing it. Uh, but it is built into every single job, even a basic job or a large job. They they all have it. Okay. Um, regarding supply chain, how to communicate to customers, just be honest. Just say, here's the increase in cost. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of very low, long, uh, long-term projects, very sizable projects that prices have you know, incremented upwards tremendously lately. So what we found is on, on, uh, on some, we just have, you know, we go to have that communication and says, we could either order it early and sit on it, you know, take the risk, you know, and you can save it or we can delay it uh, and buy the latest and greatest, um, but it's going to come at a cost. Mm. And rather than trying to mark up the additional cost, we just transfer that cost to the customer. We've already made our money. Um, although in the last couple of months, we've had to start incrementing it even more because of labor costs increases. Even getting the product, you know, re the fact that you can get it, it's just the cost of collecting like product from different vendors, uh, holding on to much larger inventory that we have in the past. It's just the cost of doing business have increased dramatically. So we had to start making some adjustments on the cost. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't even think to ask you about that, the uh, the labor um, rates situation because of uh, just uh inflation and everything that's going on right now. So that's a that's a yeah. new challenge as well. Yeah, we've uh, it was an expensive it was an expense. We have usually our reviews and stuff. It was a pretty expensive last month as far as cost, you know, uh, <laughs> in increases. But the way we're doing it here in Aspire is that we have uh, every job has a range salary range. 
and you you know every employee knows exactly in order to get to the next level they know exactly what they have to do and what the increase would be uh, but this year we've changed what we normally do is we have a, an increase of cost of living you know and it's based on your rating we have a rating system that you get on your review and it usually is one two and three percent and this year has actually went to three four and five percent because of cost of living we had to make some serious adjustments um, but we're lucky because we have an, a tremendously um, amazing workforce that is, you know, responsive and responsible and committed. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm overpaying. It feels like I'm actually giving these guys what they deserve and girls. Good. We have a lot of you know, women in our company. Nice. And so it, it didn't like feel like, oh, my God, I have to spend all this money on these people. No, they actually every single one of them deserve it. Great truly deserve it. So it wasn't like a, a painful experience. Yeah. And, uh, and if all, all else fails, I see uh, you, you get some maybe free labor from your uh, interns that uh, you recently hired your, 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 your children. Uh, yeah, my boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Relatively smart workforce for very cheap. <laughs> and, and do you hope as a wrap up, do you hope that you'll have a, another generation of uh, integrators in the family? Uh, I, I, do they seem like they might enjoy this type of work as well? I think my two boys are, um, they'll do something. Different. They're inspiring, <laughs> inspiring or something. The spine to something different. different Let's put it different. Nice. Uh, my wife is trying to get them to be uh, doctors and I think they're inspired to be something different than not to. Uh -huh. so yeah, yeah. They just like me, they want to take their own path. Sure. They want to take their own uh, and then go with it. If they ever come back and say, I want to come work in the company, I'll be very happy with that. Very good. Very good. That's a great place to stop. Um, I appreciate it. Navot, this has uh, been a great conversation. And I, I told you we weren't going to go an hour and we almost did because I just enjoyed it so much. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Navot Shorsh is founder and CVO of Spire Integrated Systems in Troy, Michigan. You can learn more about his company at spireintegrated.com. That wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to this weekly podcast on your favorite platform and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the bi-monthly print or digital magazine and to our Friday and Tuesday newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe. Stay inspired and let us know if you have a great story to tell.